Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio. Conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate with producer and host, Linda Lombardo. Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio. I'm Linda Lombardo. Highly sensitive people. We feel things differently. We see things differently. We can get lost in thinking about the planet, injustice, greed. We wonder, are we doing the right thing with our life, our children? We find the world so noisy sometimes and must balance how much time we spend in the world. Or often we just want to run away or run home. And perhaps most of all, we're capable of holding a huge space as we read the subtleties around us. 1.4 billion people, both men and women, are highly sensitive. But don't look too hard for the research or the data. It's just beginning to be discovered. It comprises about 20% of us, and it also occurs at the same percentage in other species. Being highly sensitive has survival benefits, and for humans, it has the added challenge of being misunderstood as a disease or a syndrome, as introversion, or seen as an irritability or moodiness. When I first watched the documentary, Sensitive, The Untold Story, I recognized myself, and the opportunities lost, especially for me as a child. I also saw the gift of being highly sensitive. So I bring this program to all of us who identify as such. My guest, Jacqueline Strickland, is a licensed professional counselor, a coach, and workshop leader based in Fort Collins, Colorado. She has often been called the pioneer of the National and International Movement for Highly Sensitive People, or HSP, after co-creating the HSP Gathering Retreats in 2001 with Dr. Elaine Aaron, author of The Highly Sensitive Person, How to Thrive When the World Overwhelms You, and four other books on the subject. Jacqueline is passionate about her vision of a world full of empowered HSPs. And this is a two-part series. So in this first part, we're going to talk about what is it, why are the traits important, what are some of the challenges. And then in part two, which you'll be able to hear next week at the same time, we'll talk more about Jacqueline's vision of a world full of empowered HSPs. To say a little bit more about Jacqueline, she's certified in the Myers-Briggs Personality Inventory since 1991. And she's trained in hypnotherapy and is a level two eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapist or EMDR. Her counseling and coaching practice combines therapeutic orientations, coaching principles, EMDR and hypnotherapy with her client's spiritual foundation. It's my pleasure to welcome Jacqueline Strickland to Voice of Evolution Radio. Hi Jacqueline, welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio in my studio. Thank you, Linda. It's nice to be here. So we're talking about highly sensitive people. And as you know, my program is about conscious evolutionaries. And I have some ideas why I think HSP is an important topic for a program uh, about conscious evolutionaries. But I wanted to ask you, what with all the... Um, all the transformation in the world and all the people doing sustainable and compassionate work, why do you think it's so important to talk about? Well, one, it's important to talk about it because 
primarily it's being talked about all over the world in sort of an underground movement. And so to bring it out in the realms of blog talk radio, which reaches even a bigger audience, to bring it to the attention of other psychotherapists who are in practice, to bring it to the attention of medical doctors, the psychological community. It's just um, a matter of time before it starts, that ground roots movement starts moving up into uh, other areas. I'm going to make up that a lot of the conscious evolutionaries are probably highly sensitive, who are finding their place in the world, finding their place in this movement toward you know, how do we create a more compassionate and sustainable future. And so for me, that's why this was an important topic to bring to my listeners. And I'm delighted that we're going to do it as a two-parter. We just knew there was so much information. There was just not enough time in one program. Right, to talk about right. it all. Right. So I want to start by asking you, what was it like for you growing up? Before you knew the term highly sensitive person, what was it like for you? And was your childhood supported or unsupported? Um, I was a child who, un- not unlike many other HSPs, uh, was constantly asking my mother why, but why, but why, but why, but why? The subtleties that I perceived in my environment, which were, which was not a very um, positive, nurturing environment in general, mirrored back to me that there were so many things wrong with it that people were unhappy, including myself. And so, yet I had a mother who, who worked two jobs, minimum wage jobs. I was always worried about her. Uh, but yet she always honored my sensitivity. She always honored my deep questions. She always honored my tears of um, being frustrated in the world and uh, wanting to make a difference. Uh, she didn't know how to really help me with that. Um, but at least I wasn't shamed for my deep feelings. Well, you and you and I had both a similar and a different childhood in that I was also a child asking a lot of questions, great curiosity, why, and wanting to know the answer behind the answer. And my parents were were what they call Vicky D parents. They were Victorian Depression era parents. They um my mother was born in 1910, my father born in 1913. So there was a bit of a no-nonsense in the family, and there wasn't a whole lot of dreaming once you'd been through the Depression. It, you know, Everything was, it was very realistic and very much about getting ahead in the world and, and being solvent. And so my questioning, I really didn't have anyone who appreciated my questioning or appreciated the dreamer in me. And it, so it was a very difficult childhood that way, and uh, especially around the, the crying, the sensitivity to others. My um, every time I saw someone else cry, I would cry. And and my father used to say to me, "I don't know what you're crying for. There's nothing wrong with you." And so there was never that understanding that there was actually something 
special or or different. It it really seemed more personality based to them. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you a, know, Linda Linda was a crier. Yeah. Yeah. You too. Did you have any of that? Oh, I didn't. Uh, but you know, just just the feedback that you got that there was something to be ashamed about in yourself when actually it is a genetic trait that was in, is inherited. So somebody in your family uh, down the line was also an agent. But, you know, no, I was not shamed for it. I was um, I was shown great empathy for it and um, That's great wonderful. compassion for being sensitive to other people. You know, when I thought about it, when I uh, when I saw the documentary, and and of course went to your website, and I and I saw that about it being hereditary or genetic, and you know the interesting thing is my father was very stern. He was a disciplinarian, but he was also hurt very easily. I noticed in retrospect. And I have a feeling it was my dad or, or on my dad's side of the family, even though you, you would have never thought of him as a highly sensitive person. Right. There was, well, a, there was in the documentary, there was a very angry man, uh, I recall, a father. Uh, and, and the conclusion was, you know, you're very sensitive yourself. And that was what clicked for me. And I thought, isn't that interesting? It was, it was masked behind all the emotion and all the noise. That my well, dad might have really been. I think through today of men, I think it's much more difficult for men in our society to self-identify as a highly sensitive person simply because of the stereotypes that men have to be stoic and strong and uh, not show their not uh, not only not show their emotions, not have them, uh, which we know then resulted into the only emotion that they could display, which was ju- usually anger. It makes perfect sense and and it, it's intriguing how it really does mask itself in a way because of the hurt and and coming out as anger that you would never think that this was a highly sensitive person just from the surface and and so right. that was a big awakening for me when i um when i watched the documentary you know well, and I'm curious and uh, idea, Linda, of mask is is a whole another reason that it's important to be talking about this topic because if one in five people are highly sensitive, look around your family, look around your church, look around your work, there are highly sensitive people that most likely are masking their true authentic self, which means that their full potential is not being expressed, and um, that's why we need this 20% of the population um, who probably are uh, the evolutionaries that your that your radio reaches um, to to show up in the world. Our perspective is needed now more than ever. I agree. I absolutely agree with that, Jacqueline. When did you first hear? Of HSP. Well, you know, I, I, it it was a very synchronistic moment, and in my life, when I have synchronistic moments, uh, which there have been many, they always lead me to something incredible that I would never expect. And so, it was May of ninety six, nineteen ninety six, and I was waiting for a bus in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. It was raining, and I was cold, and there were all these 
uh, flyers posted up around the bus shelter, and one of them in particular caught my eye, even though it was sort of hard to read, and it just said, um, do you find yourself needing more sleep than the average person? I was like, yeah. Do you find yourself deeply moved by arts and music? Do you find yourself greatly soothed by being in nature or near water? Are you uniquely spiritual? Do you need more downtime to process events of your day? And the the questions just went on and on, and I was answering yes, yes, yes to everyone until I got these tremendous goosebumps all over, like, how who is this asking me these questions? And it was actually Elaine Aaron before her book was published. It was an old flyer where she was looking for um, research subjects for her Ph.D. work, which then resulted in her first book, which has now sold probably over 2 million people, 2 million copies, and been printed in 15 different languages. So long story short, I tore off the little thing, got the book, came home, read it like so many other HSPs, found myself on every page with often tears flowing down, and I had... um, just become I had been licensed as a therapist for three years and was really thinking of getting out of that field because it was too uh, difficult for me to take home all the clients' problems that I was dealing with. And so, long story short, I sent a little blurb to my newspaper about are you a, that I was going to do a group, and they ended up calling me another synchronistic thing. They ended up calling me asking to do an interview. And I said, sure, and then it was on the front page of this live section. And so my phone was ringing off the hook then. And um, I did three groups on it, sent the information to Elaine, and then that's how we started our HSP gathering retreats. So just real synchronistic one after another, and I've been doing this work now since um, 2000. So, And we will talk more about the retreats later, and I want to give you the opportunity to share at that time, how the listeners can reach you and how they can find out more about your work and find out more about upcoming retreats and things like that, because I think that's I think that's important. The the supporting whatever gets awakened or activated or inspired on these calls on these programs is um, is equally as important as the information that's being shared here. So, how do you define a highly sensitive person. I know that it that in in the introduction I said that there's approximately I think it's 15 to 20% actually of both the human and the animal population that are thought to have this more finely tuned nervous system and it's and it it has it makes us more susceptible to environmental right. stimuli. But said say more about how do you define a highly sensitive person? How how does one know in addition to those questions that you were able to answer yes to? Okay. Well, uh, my quick elevator speech, which I encourage all highly sensitive people <laughs> to they're going to share it with other people, is that, as you said, it's 15 to 20% of the human and animal population, both male and female, both extrovert and introvert, uh, who have inherited a genetic trait of having a more finely tuned nervous system, which makes us more susceptible to our environment. The more positive the environment, the more we thrive, the more our true gifts can shine, um, And in a negative environment, the more we uh, suffer in that environment, whether it's masking our true authentic selves or becoming invisible or or feeling shamed 
and uh, constantly trying to uh, be someone that we're not. So how does somebody know besides that if you're an HSP? Well, Elaine Aaron has come up with, and I have to thank Elaine Aaron. She is really the pioneer of this entire movement, and without her, I would not even be doing any of the work I've done in this field. So myself and millions of others are eternally grateful to her. Um, So anyway, she's come up with four things that all HSPs have in common, and this is where you might recognize yourself or other people around you, and it's an acronym called D-O-E-S. So D stands for Depth of Processing. And these individuals would probably, as you shared earlier, kind of reflect more than other people on how the world's going and what's the meaning of life anyway and uh, what are we going to do about climate change. And uh, we might have deeper feelings and empathy. In fact, we do have deeper feelings and empathy for other people. And um, as you mentioned, the social injustices. And we might have more vivid dreams. Um, So... Our depth of processing is really a beautiful thing for so many reasons. It can also lead us into this endless cycle of rumination, which is one of the more negative aspects of the depth of processing. And then overstimulation. Everybody gets stressed out. Um, The 20% of HSPs plus the other 80%. But we HSPs get stressed out way earlier than the other 80%. So... um, that we might need more sleep, we might need more downtime, we can't, our nervous system just gets, it blows a circuit much quicker than the other 80%. So emotional intensity, you might find yourself um, being easily moved to tears, Uh, not just tears of sadness, but perhaps tears of joy or gratitude or or relief. Um, You might have a real silly sense of humor and laugh at things that real subtleties that no one else sees. And then the sensitive to subtleties is, uh, you know, sort of noticing everything in the environment, such as if it's too hot or if it's too cold, if the temperature changes, if it stays the same. Uh, So how that might be light, sound, um, and so how those four things manifest for each HSP is so different, but generally speaking, you will find us in the arts or music or the healing arts or um, the spiritual leaders. So in a broad nutshell, I think many people can identify from those four things. Yes, I, I, I would definitely say that. And the the depth of processing really truly uh resonates for me and the um the awareness of the subtleties as well there is in in leadership you know we we say we hold a big space so we're holding this space for whatever's happening and at the same time, it's almost as if you're in, or you think about mission control with all the different screens. And while you're holding the bigger space, you're also noticing what's happening to the screen on the left and the one on the right. And something's changed over here, or there's an energy shift, and or subtle subtle changes in patterns, or something that, that is out of place 
in a pattern, but noticing the oddity. Moods of others, being susceptible to the moods of others is a huge challenge for we HSPs. So, I, you know, Jacqueline, for me, it, it took me years to realize that sometimes I would say or do things and then afterwards I would think, what the heck was that? Like, where did that come from? It doesn't even feel like it's me. And then mm. after a while, I realized, what if it's not me? What if this is energy that's mm. here, that's around me? I'm picking it up. And, and now, actually, I've taught myself, I have taught myself to think before I react or respond, for the most part. And Wonderful. I realize... Well, I re- thank you. It's a, you know not meant to be a, you know a pat on the back, and it's, it is a survival mechanism for me because there were emotions coming out of me at times, and I thought I don't know what this is, I don't know why I did that, I can't believe I said that or um, whatever the circumstance might have been, and now I stop and I think is that really my emotion? Mm. And more times mm. than not. I realize it's not mine, and yes. I actually can let it. I can let it go, but I can't tell you what a relief that was to me, to actually be able to to separate that and say this doesn't hold with my values. Why did I say that? Why Why did I do that? What was going on? And then all of a sudden, just whether I made it up or not, saying that wasn't my energy. Right. And so I, and I, I have to be. I think like other highly people. sensitive people. You know, we have yeah. to be very careful. Right, and I think what you're talking about is more what we're going to get into next week, but uh, a number one skill, coping skill for highly sensitive people is to ask themselves that exact question. You know, whose feelings are these? And some of us are more uh, permeable in energetic boundaries, and I would go so far as to say that would be the empath in society, which not all HSPs are empaths, but not all HSPs. Not all empaths are HSPs either. So, um, you know, I think it's very crucial for HSPs to be very aware of their environment, which they already are, but to be aware of what energy are they. That's why meditation, that's why grounding exercises are of paramount importance to the HSP, to be grounded in their own bodies, in their own minds, in their own hearts, so that when they enter an environment, they're more prepared to answer the question, whose whose feelings are these? Whose emotions are these, mine or someone else's? Or that person's mood that I'm picking up on there is an energy that doesn't feel good to me. I'm either going to avoid it or I'm going to set a strong boundary around it. Most of us, before we find out and get skilled in that trait, we're just like an open sponge. We just suck in all the energy and it can be very very damaging to us and uh, overstimulating to us. Absolutely. And I'm curious, um, as we talk about this, some of the challenges, I mean, I think think some of them we've already begun to discuss. Uh, I, you know, I know personally, and I throw these in because I think they're great learning points and it gives me the opportunity to to relate to what you're saying, um for me you mentioned this too feeling the energy in the in the house what was going on with function dysfunction and that often creates anxiety or it could create depression 
in a highly sensitive child and it you know it took me to a very imaginative creative place where mm-hmm. I spent as an only child I spent a lot of time alone and so I was wild imagination and and wildly creative uh, childhood and and play that um really took me into the arts when I was younger and so the one of the challenges in in that was always being seen somehow as different Mm, yes, I think that's certainly a challenge. I think that's certainly a an emotion that many, if not all HSPs, have felt at one time or another, and that's different, misunderstood. Um, yeah, and therefore they believe there's something wrong with them, not just that they're different, they believe they have some some flaw, some inherited flaw that there's something wrong wrong with them and that is certainly again one of the major challenges for HSPs is to understand that no there's nothing wrong with them it's just like there's nothing wrong with having blue eyes it's a genetic trait but no we have to learn yeah. to manage we have to learn to funnel and learn about ourselves and those energies and those challenges that we face and and often the highly sensitive child is perceived as, well, being an awful lot of things. Like labels get applied to us very quickly. And because of the shaming, we could be considered uh, disobedient children somehow. And uh, because, our, you know, our parents, I remember in the documentary, something about swimming, loving the water, but being afraid to put your head under the water. And so mm-hmm. your parents are saying, swim, just go, swim. And mm-hmm. and they could see that as being a disobedient child who doesn't want to swim, or they could see it as a child who is either afraid or shy, uh, or they're not very clever or not very coordinated somehow. There's all sorts of things mm-hmm. that get made up, whether it is in school or at home or with with other children, that get made up about the highly sensitive child and those of course carry with us into adulthood too it's not you know it becomes part of what we bring with us as we grow older and we internalize as children because we don't know about boundaries and we don't know about energetic boundaries and filters and and i think you know that the majority of highly sensitive the majority of that 15 to 20 percent are in fact introverts and then 30% of that 15 to 20% are the extroverts. But I think the introverts always heard, what's wrong with you? You know, why aren't you, why don't you have more friends like your brother? And why don't you want to go to this birthday party? And um, I think um, the extroverted, highly sensitive children had sort of a inner sense of exuberance and joy, not that the introverts didn't, but, but, and those of us who saw the environments, introverts or extroverts, just HSPs in general, who saw the dysfunction in the environment, we could see the highest good. We could imagine. We had great imaginations, great creativity. We could imagine the highest good for that environment. And I think many of us, therefore, became tried to fix these environments based on our small, childlike vision of how it could be and then we became um 
you know, we picked, took on adult problems as children. Yes, I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah. And and there were also there's also too uh, you talk about that also highly sensitive people can be diagnosed or misdiagnosed as as being um on on some of the um uh scales whether it's Asperger's or autistic or ADHD, or, you know, there there are all sorts of things. And, and it's possible that someone could be both. And, and yet these labels that get applied because we don't know what to do with someone who is highly sensitive. We're a very fast-paced world, and we want to just get things done and move on. And, and that's not the highly sensitive child or the highly sensitive person is it no no not at all and and if that child is in that environment where they're expected to uh keep up with the other 80 percent then that child is going to feel that they can't do it that they failed they've done something wrong why my brother seems to be sailing along just fine and why am i struggling and um, why am I not happy? And, you know, yeah, because we're comparing ourselves to others. I know when my son was about nine, he, um, the school wanted to tell me that um, was, he had anxiety and they were going to go away to a, in the sixth grade here, they go away for a week, for eco week. And my son was very anxious about that. He did not want to go. And um, I didn't make him go. And he was so relieved, and in fact, he ended up doing a little paper on what nature meant to him, and he didn't have to go and be with, you know, 400 other sixth graders for two nights uh, in a dorm room. And um, after that, his anxiety went away. So, because I always honored his intuitive sense of, Mom, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this. And I would be like, okay, mm-hmm. well, let's work something else. So and it's wonderful was, that you had that. It's you know really wonderful that you had that so that he was supported in those feelings because even as you said, boys often have a, a much more difficult time because of the whole you know the boy code, the guy code. That yeah. um, sensitivity is is just not an appealing quality in a boy. That you know at least that's what our culture tells us. So that it can be much more difficult, I would think, for young boys or young men than it is for girls, because we expect girls somehow in mm-hmm. our in the stereotypical view that we have of gender that girls are going to be more sensitive somehow right. than boys. And so what I was teaching my son, or if it, if he had been a girl, what I was teaching my daughter was basically, in my opinion, a a belief and skill that all HSPs need to have and that that is not popular in our culture and that's the simple word of that's a simple question of what do you need what do you need to feel happier what do you need to feel more productive what do you need um to make a contribution and so you know when we are in the right environments as highly sensitive people environments that nurture us and allow us to be seen and heard. We we thrive, and um, actually, research has 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 validated this. So, 
uh, researcher Pluth and Belsky have come up with this idea of vantage sensitivity. And um, it's basically, they call it the differential susceptibility, and that's how HSPs are susceptible to different environments. And when it's positive, how much better we do, and when it's negative, how much worse we do. So, again, I think it comes back to a basic, you know, and what parents can do for their children is help them figure out that it's okay to need something. And, you know, I was surprised to learn that a lot of the research was done or may still be done here, right here in New York on Long Island at Stony Brook. And uh, and that was exciting to learn that it's uh, some of that research is being done maybe less than 60 minutes away from well, actually, from where I'm located. I think the majority of that research was when Art Aaron, who's Elaine Aaron's husband, was a social psychology professor at Stony Brook, and they did do yeah. uh, many uh, researches with FM, F, fMRIs of the brain, um, the HSP and the non-HSP brain, with um, graduate students. And those results are published on Elaine's Aaron website, along with mu- many other research, much other research that's been done on this trait. So... Um, that was, I think, in the early early 2000s that um, they were in Stony Brook. I know Dr. Aaron has retired from there, but they're still both doing work, research work in various areas. So, now, talking about the brain, now there, there's a lot of neuroscience in uh, talking about highly sensitive people and. I, I know one of the things that I saw in the documentary was where they had thought fear might have been a factor in the response of an individual. What they found out was that the amygdala wasn't responding in a manner that suggested fear, and that is the fight, flight, or freeze center of the brain, right? It's that part of the brain that is always watching out for us to make sure that we're safe or always looking for danger to alert us. And and there were a couple other uh, neuroscience facts that I thought were really um, really interesting when we, when we talked about the fact that the nervous system was more finely tuned. I think there was something about the insula. Are are you familiar with what the findings were about the insula? You know, I don't have that at the tip of my fingers, so I'm sorry I cannot talk. Talk well about that. I thought I had it somewhere, and I'm and you know I'm looking at my own notes, and and that's okay. I didn't mean to put you on the spot with that. It it said that it is the heart of consciousness, uh, the insula, and there was some. I think it was more active. They saw in highly sensitive people the insula was more active than, than it was in people who were. Uh, not considered HSPs, so that mm. that neurologically, the uh, everything was supported that made up who we are or who a highly sensitive person is in the world, and and mm. so I thought that was really fascinating, and it also I think it validates the idea that it is genetic that we are you know we're inheriting certain things, mm. perhaps. Well, I do know that the fMRIs that the Aaron's did. Uh, definitely show compared the prefrontal cortex of the HSP to the non-HSP brain, and that's where the depth of processing, our prefrontal cortex, had much more brain activity 
uh, going on than the non-HSP when presented with different images. Um, so, you know, certainly that has been scientifically proven, and all the research is all the latest research is on Elaine Aaron's extensive website. So, you know, uh, I would refer anybody who's interested in that to look up in her website more about that um, because it's there. Wonderful. And um, and and I think uh, her her uh, website is uh, just and I'm not sure if I have this right, but it is hsperson.com. I Correct. think those are some of the website pages. So hsperson.com, and uh, so to be able to go and find out more about that, if you're interested, our, our listeners, if you're interested in knowing more, and I think it's fascinating. So there's so much. I mean, so much we don't know, but there's an awful lot that we do know at this point. Oh, there's and, so and much. So, and that's it's kind of overwhelming at times. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be, wouldn't it, for us? It would be, you know, and, and, you know, as you say that, I said, well, maybe that's why sometimes I'll open a web page or I'll open an, an email that might come from a, an organization that's doing a lot of different work or has a lot of events, and I literally open it and I close it because ah. I can't even begin to process it. It is it's so overwhelming to me that either the way it's laid out or how much information first hits my eye. And so as you're saying that I'm thinking, "Oh, that's why I do that perhaps." Oh, or I open yeah. a, I open a PDF of something that I'm supposed to read and it is formatted in a way that it just looks like this huge page of words. I literally just close it out again and say, okay, maybe later, maybe after the second cup of coffee, I'll go back in and I'll try, I'll try again. And, well, and so there is this instant overwhelm. Social media in general, but you know, um, just being invaded almost with a new term called infobesity, which I think is really applicable. Oh my to, gosh, uh, infobesity. On the HSP trait too. There's so much to read. So, you know, I always suggest start with Elaine's books, go slow, um, absorb, and do your depth of processing with those articles. And then for the scientific stuff, pick one scientific article at a time and go slow and read it in increments. And because your brain is going to process it all so so deeply, and you're going to have all these aha moments where you're you're wanting to hang your emotional responses to this information on something. And so you usually go back to your childhood and reframe like, oh, my God, that's why what happened in third grade was so traumatic for me. And it's really a huge process to start this journey of, of learning and becoming an empowered, highly sensitive person. So we have to go slow and take care of ourselves. And self-care is a really important part of being a highly sensitive person. So uh, I absolutely, um, absolutely agree with you there. What about as adults in the workplace and in relationships? What What are some of the challenges for us there? Because I know we're going to talk about the empowerment next week. But there are real signs or tells of a highly sensitive person in the workplace aren't there your question is are there are there signs of a of hsps 
Well, they, you know, what are what are some of the challenges, uh, you know, to in the workplace? What are some of yeah. the things that might impact an HSP? Yeah, you know, the big word that always comes to mind over and over again is environment. Environment mm. and goodness of fit. So, so many HSPs, as well as many in the other 80%, are not well-matched to a good, what I call a goodness of fit for their job that they're doing or for the person they've picked as a partner. Um, And certainly looking back, we can think it wasn't a goodness of fit for many of us in our family of origins. And so the challenges are to perhaps be aware of what the gap is in that goodness of fit who you are and what's missing, as opposed to being in an environment and being swallowed up by it without realizing what's going on. Like, it, example, one you of the things... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going well, to say, gonna say one of the examples for, for me was that, that a lot of HSPs choose to become entrepreneurs because they don't want to be either in a cubicle or in an office all day, or they find the, the, the fluorescent lights too bright or uh, it's too noisy or, the, you know, the, the changes in the temperature or, or even, even just the structure the of the corporate environment. The negative people or the, the overall values of the corporation that they're working for can really grate on a highly sensitive person if we're not if we're not in sync with those with those values and what that company or that workplace is trying to accomplish. Um, so the cha- again, the challenge is the environment, and then the challenge is HSPs really long to do something deep and meaningful. And if you have a mundane job, it's going to be uh, just about all you can do to get through the day. Hmm. Not that I can relate with that. Um, and yes, I can. And certainly yeah. in past life, absolutely, and right. uh, and that goes back too to the idea of the conscious evolutionaries, so wanting, you know, holding this beautiful vision of the world and wanting to be part of those changes, even if they're not going to be able to see them. They work in this. Uh, the, most of the people that I work with are, are working in this with this beautiful leap of faith that they are making a difference in the world, even if they might not be here to see it, because it could be two, three, four generations down the line. And and so... I hope not either. Well, I don't know that we have that time, honestly, for it to be two or three generations down the line. So, yeah. I, you know... And, you know it, what it, I would encourage HSPs to do that are in these unfulfilling jobs or these environments which aren't, which they don't resonate with, is to acknowledge that. And instead of getting into uh, uh, wanting to fix the environment, which most times we realize that we can't fix the environment, but we can go into the environment with a protective, imaginary protective shield around ourselves. So let's say that I'm, this is a true story for me, uh, when I was living and working in San Francisco, I was a freelance legal secretary. I hated that work, but I went into the workplace doing the work, but knowing fully well in my heart that that wasn't me. 
but that I was just doing it so that I could pay the bills and then take time out to, at that point in my life, to go on a discovery and to explore, well, who am I really and what is my purpose in life? Some people already know they're an artist or a musician or a poet, so it's almost like in your mind you're saying, okay, I'm going into this work environment to do this task, but I know in my heart that I'm a musician. I know in my heart that I'm a writer. So, you know, to to be able to differentiate self from the environment is a helpful thing to do. Very important, yes. And not lose sight of who who you are, what your real purpose is in the world. Right, right. But we all have to pay the bills somehow. We do. Somehow, yes. Yeah. Knowing, Knowing that it's HSP is not only a human factor that animals are highly sensitive i'm i'm curious what you might be able to say about that or what what you might be able to add to that that fascinated me although i i know there are animals that are used in service are used in therapy such as horses are are um, the work um that coaches are doing with horses and either uh, veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder or uh, or children, autistic children, is, is amazing. And, and there are just some beings in this world, other than the human beings, that you look at and you just know they are incredibly sensitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think about the animal world, too, a lot, and... Um, where I live in Colorado, we get to see quite a bit of of wildlife here. And my favorite thing is to see the deer in nature. And when you see the deer, you know, it's very hyper alert. It hears every sound. It's, uh, it turns its head to hear this sound and that sound or that that leaf falling down. It's very, very in tune and alert to its environment and responsive to the environment. Then you think about the lion, which is just this giant, dense energy just laying there, you know, not responding much to the environment at all. And yet someone pointed out to me, yes, and don't forget that the lion eats the deer. And so it's kind of like that's sort of my metaphor for, you know, we HSPs. Yeah, we hear everything in the environment, uh, just like many animals do, but we also have to be aware of our predators out there. Um, and I think that is true across the board, whether you're anybody who has who is more aware of the energy around them. That makes sense. And there, there is always a, um, there is always a predator, I think, for yeah. every species. Sadly. Sadly, and I think. True. Sadly, yes. That predator could be someone that you're. It's in your family of origin, who's negative, who, uh, who's who drains you. It could be somebody in the workplace. It could be so many things. So, is all this just a first step? Is is there going to be more to know? Do you think? Is this the maybe the tip of the HSP iceberg? Is it? Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think we've moved well beyond the tip of the HSP iceberg simply because 
Elaine's first book was published in 96. And as I said, it's been an underground movement. Uh, millions of people around the world uh, are learning about this uh, because her book has sold over 2 million copies. Um, so I think people are starting to look at the internalized beliefs that there's something wrong with them. Many, like in your audience, the evolutionaries have already started uh, living life in a different way, living life according to their values, living life from their own sense of authenticity, which has taken a lot of work for most of us to get there. I think with the new parenting involved, the younger people are going to get there to an authentic and more sustainable way of living sooner. But I think we're really well on our way. Um, I mean, in in nineteen in two thousand, if you had done an internet search on highly sensitive people, you would have found Elaine, Aaron, and myself. Now do a search, and you'll come up with thousands and thousands of of hits on highly sensitive people, one form or another. I, I know we're going to talk news. about. I think that is good news too. Absolutely. Well, I think the more information that's available to us, the more. The more people who can read about it and identify them themselves with the highly sensitive person, I you know for me there was just such extreme relief. It really well, of course, it brought tears. Of course, <laughs> of course, I cried. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. but there was this uh, somebody gets me. Somebody understands me. All of this. Um, this intention, and it's almost an innocent intention. Uh, you, you were describing it earlier, and and the word that comes up for me is there's an innocence about it. It's a beauty and an innocence about uh, this about the world, about really feeling the world and seeing it, and um, and and I think being in love with it, quite honestly. And and so when somebody gets that in you. It, it isn't, um, there's there's not a lot of eye-rolling or what's wrong with you or just, you know, snap out of it and do something practical. Then, mm-hmm. I you know, you feel heard. You feel as if you actually belong. And I think the thing that differentiates highly sensitive people often is that feeling of being different, at which equates to not belonging and always looking for the invitation. Will somebody invite me in? Does somebody want me? And and if they want me, you know, can they appreciate everything about me instead of just loving the creative part about me, but wishing the rest of me would just go away because they don't know they don't. I mean, they're very high maintenance, so they don't know what to do with me. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, I do. I do know what you're saying, and and I think the first task there for HSPs is in this, you know, where we are on this movement tip of the iceberg or further along. For those that are new to the trade, it's so important to do the work of accurately getting the accurate information so that you can, so that you mirror back to yourself what 
what a true HSP is and what and and what your gifts are as opposed to certain headlines that get a lot of attention. One in the UK just came out and it was some, or one in Ireland it just came out and it said something about are you jumpy? Do you cry easily? You may be a, you may have the princess and the peace syndrome, which you know implies that you know we're this high maintenance group of people, and so we have to mirror back to ourselves. Uh, that no, we have special needs and we are capable of meeting those needs and those needs are different than the other 80%, but it's only until we give ourselves permission to to honor that and give ourselves permission to take care of ourselves uh, that we that then our light and our potential starts to shine through. But the other 80% aren't necessarily going to say, oh, great, look at all these great evolutionaries. They're trying to, you know, change the status quo. Isn't that wonderful? I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. We're going to be the ones that have to speak for ourselves. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And and speaking of that, your uh, your retreats, would you say a little bit about your retreats and then share how the listeners may find out more about you and your work and about highly sensitive people. Yeah. Well, they started with Elaine, Aaron, and I in a phone conversation back in 1999 or 2000, early 2000. And um, <clears throat> my thought was, you know, highly sensitive people, they just need to be together. And uh, so it's really not its work, uh, not a workshop. It's not a conference. It's not a seminar. It's really a truly a gathering. Now, there are educational breakout sessions, and we do a lot of education there. But the main mission of the HSP gathering retreats is really to provide that environment where an HSP is truly seen and heard. They have the opportunity to be known and to know other people in an authentic HSP way. And people can read about being an HSP, but for many, the first time, it's their first time ever to spend four days in nature exclusively with other HSPs. And for many, it's a profound experience. Um, one comes to mind, a woman that at one gathering, um, the oldest person there was 75 and the youngest was 18. And it didn't. It doesn't make any difference about age, gender, socioeconomic income. And at the end of this retreat, the 75-year-old woman in tears was saying, you people know me better than anybody in my whole life. And I'm sorry I had to wait 75 years for this, but I'm so grateful to have this gift of being heard. So... When that seed is planted, people leave these retreats, you know, with a newfound sense of confidence and creativity and courage uh, to be seen. That's wonderful. And your website, Jacqueline? Uh, my website is life, com, and there's a link on there for the HSP gatherings. And the 2016 ones have not been planned yet, but they are in process of being planned. Wonderful. I'm excited. I want to know more about those. Jacqueline, I want to thank you for being my guest and being part of this conversation today. I, I know that some of my listeners recognize themselves in this program, and so it's a great service to be able to have this conversation and share more about highly sensitive people and next week we'll be back t- 
talking about empowering the highly sensitive person. So anyone who's listening to this and and finds themselves or hears themselves in this conversation, you definitely want to come back next week and find out more. So thank you, Jacqueline. It was wonderful having you here today. Thank you, Linda, for your work and helping to raise the awareness of all of us and um, reaching out to even more people. And um, you're doing a wonderful service as well. Thank you. And I want to thank my listeners, always. You're the ones who keep us on the air. If you're inspired to participate, to help support us, please go to voiceofevolutionradio.com and see all the different ways that you can participate and see what the upcoming shows are as well, including the shows we've done in the past, too. So until our next conversation next week, thanks again, Jacqueline, and good night. And good night, everyone. Thanks for listening tonight. Good night, Linda. Bye. Bye.